Welcome to Singing Teachers Talk, the podcast that brings you great interviews, insightful discussions and advice around the topic of singing and teaching singing. Now it's over to your host for today's episode. It's me, Alexa Terry. Hello, Alexa here, and today I'm joined by the president of the British Voice Association, who is also a jazz singer, composer and educator, teaching at the University of Chester and the Universities of Leeds, Sheffield and York. Louise Gibbs, a very warm welcome to Singing Teachers Talk podcast. How are you? I'm, I'm really well today. Thank you. Uh, I've been running around my allotment already this early this morning, so I'm ready I'm ready for your podcast. Um, maybe I need to ask you some questions about growing certain things then, because I'm useless. I killed off beans. I've killed off, I think, onions. <laughs> and I have no idea. So the garden is now rockery. Oh, right. Okay. Well, that would be a whole different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wouldn't be a very good farmer. That's for sure. Um, over lockdown, I started a relationship with jazz, um, particularly what I guess is called coffee shop jazz. Um, and it's now kind of like my go to background music for a lot of scenarios, whether I'm studying or having people over or whether I'm in the bath, whatever that might be. I find it really relaxing. I'd love to know your introduction to jazz and how that led to where you are today. Right. All right. Well, um, I have to say that, you know, I've always, I don't know what it is, but I've always loved the music. So I think I grew up with it, with my father's um, kind of musical interests and listening interests. So even when I was young, and that was quite some time ago, um, it was still, it was old fashioned then. But I mean, in, there's a part of me that's very modern. There's a part of me that's truly old fashioned. So uh I was listening to people like Sarah Vaughan, particularly uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday sometimes, but also uh, the old black rhythm and blues singers, people and blue, especially people like Mahalia Jackson, who my father was a big fan of. So it goes back and it has those roots. I think I was always just taken with the rhythm. And then when I discovered um, that jazz was about improvisation, then I was, you know, I was truly hooked because it's the ability to kind of make something new every time to be creative like that. Um, I think that really suits the way that I think about and, and relate to music because um, I studied classical piano and I was already, I mean, my, I'd have to tell you about my first lesson. My, my piano teacher, I, I had a piano lesson and then I went home very excited. And then I started making up music because that's the reason that I got piano lessons anyway, because I used to make up music. Anytime I got near a piano, I'd start fiddling with it. So I went back with, you know, I went back to my second lesson and I had all these tunes that I'd written and my, my teacher just went, don't you ever do that again. You'll never make a proper pianist, you know, love piano and play it. And I was kind of like, uh, and you know, because, that was my impulse, you know, that was my impulse, not to reproduce, but to, to create. And it was the beginning of my kind of alternative life where I just went, oh, okay, all right. So I'm not, this is the last time you hear anything, any of my music. <laughs> and it was kind of like, then I had a, a double life, you know, that there was one life that was playing kind of 
repertoire. And I, I must admit, I was really um, very, I, I mean, I just loved all the classical repertoire. I loved Bach. I must have been some very unusual child. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, like when I, when I was making my own music, then it, it had to involve improvisation. So that's the roots anyway. Mm. And how has that experience led you into how you respond to singers in the studio or in the moment? Does does that teacher ever come back into your mind of you should never do it like that and then reframe the way that you might communicate to your students? Yes, I think because you've always got to recognise the individuality of any student. And while the music repertoire is there, I mean, it's a bit like a big treasure chest, but you can only add to it unless you, un unless what you have to uniquely bring to that situation um, is accepted, recognized, celebrated. And I, I certainly feel like that, you know, about anybody that comes to me, I, I, I try to think, well, what does this person really want to do? Not what can I impose on this person? I mean, I can help somebody sing better um, I can teach them, I can give them knowledge about repertoire, I can show them how the repertoire works. But I think also what's really important, this relates to jazz, is that the idea of repertoire is not that what is written on paper. And for people to understand that what is written on paper is a representation of something that exists in the oral world. So we have to keep remembering that most music for most cultures and certainly before recorded music and before written music just existed in people's imagination and their oral imagination and their oral memories mm. so it's, it's really important to understand that that it's it's an oral art form mm. it's the art of the ears as it were mm. and and speaking of that when you work at your institutions that you visit is there any misconceptions about the style of jazz in particular that you find amongst maybe other singers or amongst faculty? Well, I think for a long time, I mean, I think it divides, if you're talking about faculty and you're talking about, let's say, people of my generation and slightly somewhat younger, um, you've got two camps. You've got people who are kind of thinking, well, it's not, it's not, of any great value because you know it's not the, the classical repertoire and um, that's one kind of idea but that I have to say that's really in the minority now of course when I started it was the majority and um, and then you've got people who really uh, respect it and sometimes there are people who are afraid of it because of improvisation and so they think oh well, this is really not for me because I need to know what I'm doing and the idea of not knowing what you're doing all the time is really brings a lot of fear in, into people. Uh, when it comes to young people, I mean, because, you know, a lot of the songs that have been used by jazz musicians is was the popular repertoire that this, the American songbook, the what we call standards, that was the standard repertory of the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, even when I was young, that was old. So um, a lot of people don't know that repertoire. So when they're listening to singers, they're not listening to a repertoire that's been kind of improvised upon and 
and changed according to circumstance or, or the singer, they learn versions of that repertoire and they don't know what the basic song is. So they're learning kind of interpretations of interpretations of interpretations. And it's a, and then what they're doing is that they, they have a rather fixed approach to it. So that's that version and they sing that version. So it's a bit like doing a cover of a cover or something like that. Mm. And then that's a different approach. A lot of young people are like that. So I suppose in many ways, um, I, I wrote about this, by the way, around about 25, 30 years ago, where I, I made a distinction between a jazz singer and a jazz stylist. And a jazz singer is a person who is like, treats those as forms which you improvise with and that's a kind of more compositional approach and then a jazz stylist is someone like a singer or an instrumentalist where they're taking the features of that music and they're reproducing them and that's a different approach because then that often is performed the same way each time maybe might with kind of little variations here and there but a lot of people don't know enough about the music from a compositional point of view to make those kind of, uh, you know, in-depth changes that might be to do with substituting um, melodies, harmonies even, so, you know, bringing non, um, bringing chromatic notes that is not part of the of the diatonic scale, um, all these things, uh, you know, making kind of rhythmic, subtle rhythmic plays with it. I mean. Take something which is one of the defining features of jazz, which is swing rhythm. Well, very few musics these days have that swing rhythm, which is basically a triple of the beat subdividing into three. So, whereas most of it is so that's where you've got a subdivision to two or four as in most pop music even latin music is like that and swing is subdivides into three and a lot of people just are really not that familiar with that and i mean the only other thing that you can think of that subdivides into three that we might be more familiar with would be kind of like um, Celtic music, you know, but a, but a jazz musician wouldn't go a one and a two and a three and a three. They'd go one and and so you're turning your jig into something else. But um, as I said, you know, like rhythmically, because it's you have to be able to embody rhythm, and um, if you're not you're not familiar with it, it's very it's it's tricky to do. Mm, mm. And improvisation is an interesting one because I feel that improvisation can actually be quite useful for the the feared singer in terms of making mistakes or feeling quite rigid. So how do you introduce improvisation to such a singer as as more of a I guess a technical tool to help them out of that or to or to be in the jazz realm as well? Well, I try not to sort of, you know, worry people too much about how can I say correct way to approach jazz, mm -hmm. um, because it takes an awful long time to, to study any music so that it becomes more like your mother tongue, it's like learning a new language. And you don't necessarily have to be able to learn jazz in order to improvise. 
I mean, it's a very specific kind of way of improvising. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to get people to realize that, you know, every time you alter something, you're introducing some form of improvisation. So it really depends on what the person's skills are. Um, some people are, can make up melodies and, you've, and you, it's a matter of just pointing out to them that they're already improvising. Mm. And some people, you want to make them aware of harmonic, that they already have harmonic listening. Um, and a lot of people are completely unaware that they have harmonic listening, especially singers, because we can only sing one note at a time. Um, so, and and so, it's a matter of of helping them access that. That can they harmonise? Do they find that they're singing other notes? If I play a chord, can you hear something else other than the note that I'm singing? So I hear this this note. Do you hear others? You know, and it's getting it's it's more to do with getting people aware of what they already have. Mm. And so when you when you point out what people already have, you know, like you, you get people sometimes got great sense of, of, of feeling of time. You just need to plug into that or get people improvising with words, sticking new sentences in, realizing that you could turn that into a melody. You know, it just depends what's the, what's the, the key into the way that this person experiences music. Mm. And equally to add to that, the idea of, of taking that improvisation and also finding out what doesn't work is equally as valuable as finding out what does because you know okay if, if those chords are together or or if we're singing that that note isn't quite going to work for me or whatever it might be so having that as part of the learning process i find quite useful even though it seems scary that we might make a mistake but yeah. reframing that a little bit and uh thinking of the mistake as actually a positive learning experience yeah uh, this is this is absolutely you know the way I would go about it too, and the idea that that so-called wrong note might launch you into something you know you can you can escape from things gracefully, and that's quite an interesting idea to put across to people too, um, and also that a lot of improvisation is really about conviction. So it, you it, look if. Miles Davis was, as far as I'm concerned, the king of conviction. You know, there are lots of times where he fluffs notes on his trumpet. You know, he there are a lot of things that you would say, oh, that's not doesn't mm, that's not very good. That's not very correct. But that's not the point. He takes something, he takes a fluff and turns it into into art because, mm-hmm. and that's just through sheer conviction or bloody mindedness. You know, mm-hmm. however you want to think of it. And as an educator, where do you think this has stemmed from? Maybe quite a big question in terms of why are we so driven to do it correctly? What is it about getting it right versus getting it wrong within the realm of music? What What is it that's against us in that sense? Well, I think just to, you know, really get to the point of that, I think people confuse technique and may and being musical or a musical outcome and you know there's no doubt in order to be good at something you have to spend time training yourself and training for accuracy reliability which means that you do have to go over things you do have to know what you're doing you you can't play you can't make art unless you've got something there to make art with and so 
it, the problem is, is that when people can't get beyond the means in, in relation to the end, and they're stuck in terms of this is a means to an end, and they're just stuck in the means part. And so that, that, that's what they worry about. Whereas, you know, the end is, is being creative, and being creative is awfully messy. Mm. Now, when you're, when you're looking for accuracy, you can't afford to be messy. And that's the fight that goes on between, you know, inside us, that being accurate and being messy. So, um, and you, and you're, that's a, you know, to me, that's a two way conversation. But sometimes when people get stuck in demand technique, um, and it's the same for vocal technique. I mean, I, uh, my students often fear certain things, singing high, whether they can mix, whatever it is, whether they've got breath control or whether they're going to have, they're going to lose their voice or they've got stamina or all these things. But really, I always come back to, so what is it that you're trying to do rather than you're learning a technique that you might apply at some point? Tell me what it is you want to do, what kind of music. And then you find, and then what that does is it, it actually builds complexity into what they're doing. And then they're more forgiving. But whereas if they're only kind of Kind of obsessing about one thing, um, I've got to make a smooth line, or I want to get that clear, or that's got to be breathy, or this, you, you know, it's it's kind of this fixation with detail when they've lost the plot, um, that really really can make people fearful. But that's because they're not they're not sort of they don't realise that the experience is as important as that little detail. Mm. Mm. By the way, I feel like we need to get that slogan on some merch. Uh, creativity is messy or something. I think, we, I think we've yes. got something there. I'd wear it on a jumper. Yeah, okay. Oh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you've got to make a mess. You know, you've got to make a mess to find out what you've got. Yeah. And that's, I, I allow my students to make a mess. Yeah. That's fine. And, and until we make a mess, I really don't know what I'm dealing with. Mm, create chaos. Make, yeah, I make plenty of messes. So they look at me and they think, oh, my God, look at her. Listen to her. What? She's prepared to make all these silly sounds. Okay. I, yeah, maybe I should try it out. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. Just get stuck in and be play. After yeah, all, play. that's what we did as kids. Yep, that's right. Yeah. And we, we can't lose that. We've got to somehow build it in. Not to mention fun. I mean, you've got to have fun. You got to play and you got to have fun. I'd love to talk about the BVA if that's okay and that's the British Voice Association which you were elected as president in September 2021. And congratulations for that. That's awesome. How has that felt for you? Uh quite overwhelming because uh, you know, I have to say you're not a figurehead. You actually have to get in and do the work and get your hands dirty and um I've had a very, very eventful time so far. Um, mm. So we've, you know, we've had two major changes in the organisation. One was the sad loss of our designer of over twenty years, and that was a considerable loss because he was doing quite a lot of stuff. I think that nobody realised until his quite sudden death. Mm. And uh, so we've we've had to scramble around and you know find out find people to write copy to assemble it to manage our 
our website and um and then the other one was the the, the loss of our um or the retirement i mean it's a loss to us but uh she deserves to retire um she, our company secretary um of 20 years about the same time mm. and um the poor woman had been trying to leave for about three or four years and i think she you know she thought well okay this is this is long enough thank you so um so again you know there have been lots of changes and lots of internal changes so things that you don't always anticipate that you'll be needing to do because we often look out we look outwards but um we've still managed to keep ourselves you know busy and one of the things you know like one of the remit that i gave myself was to really strengthen this aspect of what is really individual about the British Voice Association is its multidisciplinarity because we have we're a collection of singing teachers of speech language therapists of drama teachers of laryngologists of um, osteopaths of um, you know people who deal with um, manipulation of the larynx you know all kinds of things that you think you know you don't they're not completely to do with the the voice but really the voice impact so you know psychologists um there are so many people you know where the voice is we just take it for granted and 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 it's not a bad thing that we take the voice for granted because we shouldn't really notice our voice at all because it's just a way of making things happen in terms of communication but that's what the bva does it brings all these people together and when it was put, when the organization was sort of put together over 30 years ago, the whole idea of multidisciplinary working or cross-disciplinary working or interdisciplinary working was, um, was, was very novel. I think we've got used to the idea more now that, for instance, the NHS has specialist um, voice clinics that will have a team of different disciplines. And to solve a problem, because the problems of the voice are usually very complex, and they're not always physical either. So we we need that um, you know we we need to know what's going on on a physical level, on an organic level, but we also need to be well aware that a voice is in a person, a person is in a community, and the, and and the culture has an impact. On the perception of the voice and what its function is and when people don't have voices whether psychologically or physically um, we have got a lot of work to do to unpack how to improve that situation so multidisciplinarity is is where we've been and, and that's the that was the reason for our organization and I suppose, you know, at some time later, this is why I feel like I want to revisit that idea. Mm. And um, in July, on July the 17th, this is Sunday, July the 17th, we are holding um, a, a, basically it's a forum and it's called uh, Breakthroughs and Boundaries. And so we'll be looking at... Um, how multidisciplinary solutions to vocal issues, you know, what's the state of that? What, what, what's happening now? And we're looking at particular issues like um, 
we've got three challenges, I feel. The first one is that how do we have a common language when you've got all these disciplines? How do we have to find a common way of talking to one another so that we know we're all talking about the same thing? Because, for instance, you know, the idea of vocal registers and vocal mix. Now, to a speech language therapist, that doesn't mean a great deal unless they're dealing with singers. So whereas you've got a classification of M1, M2, M0, M3, etc., you know, if we, we talk about head and chest, and, and these are refer to different things. And if you're an acoustician, you know, thinking about it in terms of sound, you, you've got another, you've got it in terms of hertz, and, 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 and so, you, you, so it's got a really, um, a, a, you know, different languages. And what do they mean? Are we talking about the same thing? Mm. So that's one issue. The second one is, is what, you know, how do you translate what people understand, what we've learned out of practice and certain principles and things were, because most people who are practitioners usually keen observers of what's going on. And how do we systematize that? And then you've got researchers working on specific issues to do with voice, um, you know, the way a tissue would work or the way muscle groups will work or something's very specific. And how do we translate what has been learned from both or from practitioners or theorists or how do we link that together so that that theory research or theory research practice or practice research or however that divide how do we bridge that so that's problem two and the third one is because we have multidisciplinary teams we've all also got sort of bodies of knowledge that sometimes I compete with one another. Mm. And so we, we have to look at issues of like authority, for instance. You know, if you've got a team, who has the final word? Who do you listen to? You know, does a singing teacher have more to say than a laryngologist? Does a laryngologist have more to say than a speech language therapist? Does a speech language therapist have more to say than, do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah. And so what's going to hold and when does it hold? And so these are. This is a forum that um, is actually very dear to my heart, and I'm I'm looking forward to putting you know putting that event on, uh, to which people listening to this podcast are very welcome to, um, to 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 come to. Amazing. And where would we find tickets for that? Well, it'll be online on a, I will, through Eventbrite, but check the BVA website. BritishVoiceAssociation.org.uk And for those who may not have heard of the BVA before or are coming across it or have kind of looked into it and is, are still deciding whether to become a member, you've mentioned there that multidisciplinary uh, team and um, looking at these uh, events. What else does a member get from being part of the BVA? Well, it gets a membership newsletter that comes out three times. It's called Communicating Voice. I mean, that's, you know, those are kind of the physical things. It would, we produce a leaflet for World Voice Day. That's another thing you could, it's free, you can use it. We've got, we've got leaflets going back many years, and they're, they're the kind of thing that you'll, you'll find um, in uh, doctor's offices, in, in in clinics and hospitals, etc., very useful piece of very practical information. That's more kind of public information, but most importantly, you'll meet other people. 
because it suddenly gives you an access to usually the most forward-thinking uh, practitioners in their fields. I have met some utterly amazing people through the British Voice Association. In fact, not to mention the events that we put on that I usually bring people up to date with research, with um, whatever, you know, like practice, sharing practice. And I, I've actually thought of the BVA as my university of voice. So, and, and for professional updating, I mean, people do, you, you can in fact get professional um, points, professional development, CPD points mm -hmm. uh, for, for attending our events. Um, and also an, an initiative that um, the team and I have got underway, which is the Professional Voice Network, where you just local groups, you set yourselves up and you can actually have a talking shop. And we don't record them and we don't record them because so that people can just talk freely amongst um, other people of other disciplines. And I think this is very important, that kind of high level thinking, problem solving, advice, support. You know, this is what this is often what we need when we're in the field and we're trying to solve things that are, as I said, the voice is very complex. It's not mm -hmm. it's not a single way of solving any one, you know, any any issue. I mean, even analyzing it, understanding it, it's, it's always good to have different perspectives. Mm. Especially as a lot of us are working solo, we're self-employed. We want that support network and community. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there there are all these things, and once you start getting involved, as I do, you know, as I did, um, you be you you realize actually that there are a lot of people who could benefit from the ideas that you have, the energy that you have. Mm. Just just sharing. I mean, like the BVA has to change, um, just like anywhere else, and we we're really looking, especially for young people. You know, I've had to learn to use social media. It's not my natural way of being. But but for a lot of young people, they've got lots of great ideas about how to get the message out, how to how to support people. Lots of, I mean, online learning and just what we're doing now, um, you know, even 10 years ago would have been quite a radical idea. And so I think we're all learning all the time. Because as much as people denigrate, pub, um, you know, sort of social media, it's only because people don't trumpet the very benefits that it has to offer, and there are many. Mm. I mean, being a member of the BVA, uh, you know, for for all that it offers is sixty five pounds a year as a for a professional organisation of its reach. Um, it's really, it's it's a it's a it's a really minimal kind of investment to giving yourself support. Mm. And to become a member, do we just follow onto the BVA website? Yep, you just get on that website. Yeah, amazing. And you mentioned the the event on the seventeenth of July, talking about those three points of uh, common language, practice research, and um, authority. Who gets the authoritative word? Yeah. Your time spent as the president. Have you got any more? goals that you would like to reach what's your vision and what would you like to see more of from vocal coaches and singing teachers do you think well one very practical thing that i'm setting out to do and i really am hoping that i can get this done because it's not an easy thing and that is revamping we, we need a new website 
and um, this in fact was the last wish because uh, of our of our designer this is something that he agreed and I'd really like to carry that wish through but um, I just really do want to bring more young people and 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 give them a voice and give them you know like I really am listening this is why if anybody wants to write to me and just say listen this is an issue I've come across um, I can't ever offer to solve it but I will definitely share it with my colleagues and we need to put our heads together because we need to be aware of what's going on the ground going on always because that is where you know often um, singing teachers singers they're they're at the point at which singing teachers particularly know what's at stake what's what's not working um, because they, that's where referrals to laryngologists or speech language therapists come from often mm. um, and you you can usually identify um, kind of or, or, or problems that are coming I mean a problem just a problem that I came across myself and there's a whole area that I think we need to bring into the BVA and that is the um, effect of dental work on singing mm -hmm. um, because as people you know wearing braces or whatever they're doing it, it has an effect mm -hmm. it has um, one of the other things is the use of cosmetic fillers what is this doing to muscular activity in the face because I actually have noticed I don't know whether they just overdosed on their filler or what it was but they came back and they were quite that tongue suddenly was not as mobile as it had been so these are kinds of things because I'm an observant person and because I see a lot of people I notice certain trends you know mm. um, I, I notice that a lot of people young people coming from especially from stage schools um, where I think that the kind of vocal advice is very it can be very um, varied in terms of quality or in terms of specific help and there are voices where people are coming and they're then they're shouting that they think that that because they think that they're making a big noise by shouting and then you realize that that, that sets up in itself a whole set of problems mm. um, you know the other thing is that COVID that's had an enormous impact Mm. Um, and we don't know what will be the long-term effects but we're looking at them we're monitoring them in fact we had a, an event recently where we were looking at health and well-being and lots of um, we had a discussion of those of of the, the effects the possible long-term effects of COVID mm. I mean that's that's an issue um, there are you know as I said there there are there are lots of things that we could be looking into and 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 thinking really more broadly about how we solve issues because I know for myself personally I don't want to teach or keep doing what I'm doing um, and then when when issues you know like I'm not teaching to um, to the car crash and I'll, I'll explain to you you know when we learn to drive we get some instructions about what to do about how to how to drive positively mm. whereas I think sometimes the way that people teach is they teach to the car crash you know they wait until you crash the car and they go oh yes and by the way uh, let me tell you about the brake you know mm. <laughs> and then oh that's right um, yeah you, you got to signal <laughs> you know, that's your second car crash you see what I'm saying mm. and so um, 
we want to sort of devise a way of teaching, a way of, of looking after, of helping people look after themselves. Mm. That's positive rather than always being reactive so mm. that we have a, a, a positive curriculum that's setting out to basically minimise those tendencies. Mm. And how would people get in contact with you? How can they reach you and discuss these things? Well, they can always get hold of me um, through my email. And that's or um, and look, it's louise at jazzmine.co.uk. That's my personal email. I've had it now for um, as long as there's been public email. I've had it. And um, that's what it is, louise at jazzmine.co.uk. And of course, you can always get in touch with the BVA if you want something more, um, you know, like one of the directories, for instance, we have directories of um, of people who speech language therapists of speech clinic of of language um, voice clinics. And there are other directories that we that that are useful. Mm. We don't we don't operate a directory of um, of singing teachers or speech teachers mainly because there's no way of certifying you know certifying mm -hmm. them somewhere giving them some kind of certification that we can agree on so we're we're in a bit of a tie here but that's a whole other issue mm. yeah yes, yes. the non-regulation <laughs> right. um, and what do you think of, of that do you think at some point there will be or do you think that it's it's a tough one to kind of crack down on? Well, it's a tough one because it's it's not just a matter of having a piece of paper because of people, you know, people, a lot of singing teachers particularly are learning more and more about the voice. Oh, the, the very best ones, of course, are always learning. And there's some excellent master's courses around now. But that's what you have to do it has to be post-grad course and while and while people are already working and they're you know they it, it depends on what flexibility is given you um and and not to mention the cost mm. but um the thing about certification it's usually required when there's a body that wants to pay you and since there's nobody that really wants to pay uh, singing teachers, you know, like we were all, most of us are freelance, so it's very different. I mean, if certification of um, speech language therapists, perhaps who are not working privately, mainly through the NHS, and because doctors, it's you know, there's there's some legal requirements. So um, until there's a legal requirement for um, singing teachers to to be um certificated in some way then we're, we're going to be um i think it's a very complex issue that's all i can say mm. Mm. well louise i so appreciate your time and company today it's been lovely to meet you thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about um talk about jazz improvisation and for thank you very much for your very um, intelligent questions. You know, <laughs> sometimes people don't necessarily ask you the kind of questions that will get you talking about it. And I think it's probably to do with my intelligent answers. But hey, um, <laughs> uh, but I really thank you very much for that opportunity and very much about talking about the BVA because I really do believe in their work and 
I think any organization that can bring disparate groups together and to help them to work better together to solve complex issues, it can only be for the good. Absolutely. Hear, hear. <laughs> thank you so much, Louise. Okay, well, thank you so much, Alexa. Looking to expand your vocal knowledge and add to your teacher toolbox? Then you're in the right place. BAST are here to guide you with our membership, a growing virtual library packed with educational videos spanning a whole host of voice teacher topics. It's just £1 for the first two weeks and £6 each month after that. Now that's what I call a bargain. To join, just head to our website, www.basttraining.com.